Prop 58 is a proposition that really highlights the highest quality of education for all children. And in fact, he's one of the signers of our ballot statement right now, urging the voters to defeat Prop 58 and keep the successful system in place instead of going back to the failed system of the past. Welcome back to Upvote California, a podcast for California voters. This episode is part of our 2016 California Proposition series, where we focus on each proposition on the ballot and bring on experts to discuss both sides of the issue. I'm your host, Brian Atwood. Today's episode is about Proposition 58, the Multilingual Education Act, which changes the law to more easily allow bilingual education in schools. We're fortunate to have two experts representing both sides of the issue. We'll be interviewing Jan Correa, the CEO of CABE, the California Association for Bilingual Education, and Ron Unz to represent the opposing side. He was the primary author of Prop 227, which moved California to the English immersion system that is in place today. But we start each episode with a brief summary. In 1998, California passed Proposition 227, a set of laws requiring students that don't speak English at home to be taught in English-only immersion classes for one year, then moved into regular English classrooms with their peers. Prop 58 amends Prop 227 so that local school districts and communities can decide on the curriculum and allow multilingual immersion courses where they see fit. Supporters say voting yes on 58 will untie educators' hands to try multilingual education, which will maintain English proficiency standards, but also supports immigrants' languages and culture and makes California more fit for the global economy. Opponents say vote no on 58 to keep English-only immersion, as it is the best way for students to learn English and will make them better suited for college and the job market. So what is this proposition really about and who does it affect? It's about how California educates English language learners. These are students that speak another language besides English at home and lack English skills to succeed in a school's regular programs. That's a lot of people in California. It's about 1.3 million as of 2014. That's about one in four students. So what is the right thing to do? Should we teach English language learners in English and move them as quickly as possible into classes with their peers? Or do we teach them in multilingual environments where part of the day we're teaching them English, but the other part of the day we're teaching them other skills in their native languages, such as mathematics, uh, science, and literacy? How we teach non-English speakers it's a very long history in the United States, and it's, it's wrapped up in, in politics and immigrant rights. It goes back all the way to the original colonies in 1619, where Polish workers actually launched a strike in Virginia in order to get the same education as Englishmen. Um, over the years, many states have passed laws requiring bilingual education, as they didn't want to let non-English-speaking students fall behind. In the 60s and 70s, the federal government really got behind bilingual education, uh, with uh, the Bilingual Education Act that was passed in 1968, and then also in a Supreme Court ruling in 1974 that said uh, San Francisco was violating immigrant rights by not allowing uh, students that didn't speak English to have the same levels of education as their English-speaking peers. But a backlash occurred in the 80s and 90s, and critics of bilingual education said that it was ineffective. Students weren't learning English fast enough, and it supported cultural division. 
You had some schools in California that reportedly were teaching basically all in Spanish for, for three to six years. Um, and you had a lot of people coming out that maybe couldn't speak English as well. So California, in 1998, passed Prop 227 by 61% to 39%. And it pushed California so that um, these English language learners were put in structured English classes for about a year and then moved into primarily English classes. So the debate is still ongoing, and I was looking at what other states are doing so we can look at, okay, what's working? Is bilingual education better? And it's really hard to tell because California is at the forefront of all this. Most of the English language learners in the United States are in California, and most other states look to California as kind of a guide for what to do. There's been a lot of studies since the law was passed 18 years ago, and honestly, there's a lot of different ways to interpret the results, and they kind of advocate for both sides. Uh, you see a, a study by the Lexington Institute in 2006 that looked at California after we passed this sort of English first law and found that in the top two categories of proficiency on the state's English language test that it went from 25% in 2001 to 47% in 2005 for these English language learners. And in fact, the Supreme Court referenced this study in 2009 and said that structured English immersion was significantly more effective than bilingual education. But you have other studies uh, that kind of show the other side of the story. So the California Department of Education commissioned a, a study, and in 2006 they found that there was some improvement in performance, but there was still a gap, and ultimately recommended that English immersion was too restrictive and thought bilingual education might be better. And then on the other end, you have former George Mason University professors that actually found that this English immersion closed the gap in English very quickly, but it actually left students further behind in subjects like math and science. In other words, while these students were learning English better, they weren't learning other subjects as quickly. So it's really hard to tell, um, in my opinion, but I think we'll have some experts that say uh, quite the opposite, um, which one is better. Um, but what is clear is that English language learners lag far behind English-speaking students, no matter what technique is used, and something needs to be done to prepare them to be better. Let's look at campaign finance and where this proposition came from. This came from the California legislature and was signed as, as a Senate bill by Jerry Brown in 2014, and now it's being put in front of the California voters. To date, the only PAC that has raised money for support is the Yes on 58 PAC. It's raised about $600,000, which is pretty low for most of the propositions. And currently there's no organizations or individuals financing the opposition. At this point in the program, we'd like to air our interview with Jan Correa, the CEO of CABE. She'll be representing the supporting side of Proposition 58. CABE, or the California Association for Bilingual Education, is a nonprofit organization with over 5,000 members devoted to bilingual education for students in California. CABE is one of the main organizations that is endorsing Prop 58. Jan has had over 25 years of experience in the field of bilingual education and has been focused on multilingual and diverse settings. Thank you for joining Upvote California, Jan. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be here. Um, I think it helps to start off with a, a brief explanation of Proposition 58. And can you um, provide that explanation and explain why you think it's important for Californians to vote yes on it? 
Absolutely. Proposition 58 is a proposition that will be on our November 2016 ballot. It actually comes from legislation which was filed and approved by the California State Senate and Assembly through bipartisan support and signed by Governor Brown in 2014, and that was known as SB, or Senate Bill 1174. Based on that approval, that legislative process and approval, the initiative is back on the ballot for the voters of California to review. Um, Prop 58, I'm using the language from SB 1174, is a proposition that really highlights the highest quality of education for all children. There's a focus on preparing students for college and careers in the 21st century and accessing high-quality, innovative research-based educational programs. Within that context, Prop 58 highlights the importance of being multilingual in the 21st century as one of those high-quality research-based programs. It clearly requires that English proficiency is the highest standard for graduation in California schools. So we want all of our students um, in California to be highly proficient in English academically um, in in all content areas as well as socially and in, in all other aspects. Along with the English language requirement, it provides now flexibility for school districts and schools to um, to provide multilingual programs for English learners and for all students. And so if Prop 58 were to be approved by the California voters, it would maintain our focus on English as the official language of our students, and we want our students to acquire high levels of English, and it opens up the possibilities for many more and stronger multilingual programs for English learner students and for all students. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like um, 58 is providing educators more flexibility in, in sort of choosing the language programs than the existing law, letting them experiment with multilingual education programs. Um, this is overturning Prop 227 from the 90s. Um, what do you think has changed in the past uh, 20 years that have caused educators to want to bring back the support and, uh, for multilingual education? Well, a couple things on that. Actually, Prop 58 will amend certain aspects of Prop 227. And you're right in that it really does offer more opportunities for multilingual programs to be implemented in our schools. Um, Prop 58 does not mandate multilingual programs, but it provides the opportunity for schools and for parents to to explore and take a look at the, the kinds of programs that would be most effective for their school community. Um, And so that's an important piece to really recognize that Mm -hmm. um, Prop 58 really opens the doors for for schools and communities to consider providing more multilingual programs in our schools. Um, Prop 227, when it was passed in 1998, really limited the offering multilingual programs. Um, Prior to Prop 227, we had over 30% of our schools in California. We have about 10,000-plus schools in California, and over 30% of them were offering some type of multilingual bilingual program. Um, With the passage of Prop 227, that number has dropped to below 5%. And so what it means is that although we acknowledge and very much agree that English is a very important skill for all of our students to acquire, um, 
the the ability to learn and have high success in English does not have to be at the expense of not learning another language. And in fact, we know from research that students do much better when they're、um, studying, in this case, in English and having the access to learning in another language or becoming bilingual or multilingual. And so,、um, Prop 58 will really provide that opportunity for schools to really take a look and see what is the best, what are the best opportunities for their students to really prepare them for the 21st century.、Mm-hmm. I, th- I think a lot of、um, opponents to this proposition would say, you know, it's it's better that students go right into English. It's they're going to learn a lot faster.、Um, you've had a lot of experience in, I, I think,、uh, 25 years of experience in. Multilingual education. Can you、um, give our listeners like kind of a concrete example about a multilingual setting and how it's it's really beneficial、um, for students as opposed to to putting them into these English first classes? Absolutely. You know,、um, being in education for as long as I have, I've gone through different phases of how we have really implemented different kinds of programs for English learners. The most effective ones I have seen、um, were back in the '90s when we did have programs、um, that actually focused on for our English learner students. Those are students that come to our schools knowing another language, and then they are learning English as a, as their second language as well.、Um, having programs that really provided students with targeted approaches to learning English while they still may. Maintained instruction in Spanish or another language, whatever language we were we were working with.、Um, now, what we have seen over the years, a, a model that really has emerged, has had great success for English learners as well as for students from English-only backgrounds, is a program called Dual Language Immersion.、Um, I was a principal at a dual language immersion school. I worked closely with dual immersion programs、um, through district and county office support. And what we see in those programs is that you provide a Learning experience where both groups of students from different language groups are really able to access and learn academically their language arts, their math, their science, their social studies、um, in both languages with. With specific approaches and models that the teachers implement, so that all students have equal access to that education. And by the time they're in that program, after four or five years, every student we have research that shows that students、um, leave those programs or transition into middle school and high school programs with very high levels of academic proficiency、um, in English and in the other language. So when we do testing, you know, we do our state testing and other kinds of testing on language arts and math and science. Our students that go through the dual language immersion programs are able to succeed at high, high rates, much higher than oftentimes in English-only students、um, that have been in part of this dual language immersion program. So I've seen it on the ground. I, I know the research. I, I, I know the practices. But really, what makes the difference is when you see it on the ground and you see it from preschool or kindergarten all the way up into your fifth and sixth grade elementary school, and then you see pathways. As students are continuing their language development、um, in both languages and, and content development in both languages in middle school and high school, and we are truly able to graduate students who are fully biliterate or multiliterate, but at least biliterate in two languages, where they're able to really、um, achieve and、um, and operate within a bilingual setting in in a classroom of maybe a high level of math taught in a, a different language in English,、uh, and then again. Taught in English, they're able to make those t- 
transitions and have high-level success. So it really um, is an amazing process to see when you see it on the ground and then to look at the impact and the results that we see from test data and from other kinds of data that we gather. And while um, giving uh, local schools control, there is also statewide standard testing, right? So saying, hey, you, you to graduate, you do need to have this level of, of English proficiency. That's, that's correct. That'll stay oh, in definitely. place, correct? Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely. Yes. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's important to say that as we have a focus on multilingualism, that on that multi or bilingualism, English is that other language, yeah. right? And so English is the, is the language that's spoken commonplace in our state and throughout our country. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, our focus is on helping our students become, you know, become very proficient and gain high levels of academic achievement in English, but not at the expense of not learning another language or not maintaining learning in their own language. Um, students come to us with such a richness, whether they're a Spanish speaker at home, a Chinese speaker, Korean, Vietnamese, Arabic, Russian, whatever language it might be. And so for them to come into our schools, um, we want them to acquire English at high levels and not lose their own language. Mm-hmm. And so there are many program models that we're able to bring into place that really, you know, really build their proficiency in English and helps them maintain build their own skills um, in in what could be their home language and provides that opportunity for students, other students in the school community that maybe come from an English-only background. So, you know, it really is a win-win, you know, for schools and communities. Um, and, and um, you know, kind of in the, uh, definitely, of course, in the academic spectrum, but also looking at, you know, um, cross-community collaboration and building and, um, you know, working together across different groups and, you know, just helping people get to know each other better and and learn from each other and learn the richness of their languages and cultures and coming together um, to help their school be more successful, their community be more successful, and and ultimately and kind of altruistically to really be a a really positive collaborative support for our our world, our 21st century global society. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. although that might sound, you know, somewhat altruistic, that's really what our goal is. We want our school to be mirrors of what we reflect in our society. Mm -hmm. And so having students and parents working together across language, across culture, across racial groups, and feeling comfortable doing so and providing great models um, for our, our broader community is just a really important role that our schools play. And Prop 58 will be one approach or one one part of that step that will really help make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, As you mentioned, there's a lot for voters to consider when they're going into the um, ballot booth, the voting booth in, in November. There's uh, 17 mm-hmm. state propositions and a lot more local propositions. If, if they see Prop 58 on the ballot, what's the one What's the one thing that, that you'd like them to remember when they're, when they're voting on it? Well, we'd like them to remember, yes, on Prop 58, the LEARN initiative. And that stands for Learning Education Acquisition Readiness Now. And so it's yes on Prop 58, the LEARN initiative, because it really is what's best for our kids and best for our schools and communities. Now to represent the opposing side to Prop 58, we have Ron Unz, who was the principal supporter of Prop 227 in 1998 that moved California to an English-first educational system. Ron was educated at Harvard and Stanford and founded a software company in the banking industry called Wall Street Analytics that was acquired by Moody's in 2006. Thank you for joining Upvote California, Ron. Great to be here. Um, I guess to start off with, um, in your words, would you briefly explain Proposition 58 to our listeners and why it's important for Californians to vote no on it? 
Sure. Proposition 58 is is essentially aimed at repealing the educational changes which were enacted by Prop 227 almost 20 years ago and returning the state to the previous system in which bilingual education was widespread. The advocates of Prop 58 are exactly the same individuals who opposed Prop 227 at the time and are strong supporters of bilingual education in the public schools. Now, Prop 227 enacted educational changes which ended up working out very well in the state of California. It ensured that nearly, that under normal circumstances, immigrant children are taught English as soon as they start the public schools. And the result was that they did much better. Uh, and uh, in the past, following the passage of Prop 227, within a period of four years, the test scores, the academic test scores of over a million immigrant students in California increased by 30%, 50%, even 100%. And the increases were entirely concentrated in those school districts that followed 227, while those districts which kept the old bilingual education system showed almost no improvement whatsoever. The results were so striking that even though the overwhelming majority of California newspapers had opposed Prop 227, once they sent their reporters into the classroom to see how it was working, all the headlines were how successful the new system was, how happy the students, their parents, and their teachers were, and how quickly they were learning English. In fact, it made the front pages of the New York Times and got on all the national news. The results of shifting over to intensive sheltered English immersion for immigrant students were so overwhelmingly successful that the founding president of the California Association of Bilingual Educators publicly admitted that he'd been wrong for 30 years, that bilingual education did not work, and that English immersion was much more successful and became a born-again convert to English immersion. And in fact, he's one of the signers of our ballot statement right now, urging the voters to defeat Prop 58 and keep the successful system in place instead of going back to the failed system of the past. Mm -hmm. And I I guess to add on to that, I've been reading a lot of of research coming out of San Francisco that is saying they're they're piloting these these multilingual uh, courses and it's it's showing that students learn just as fast. um, And, hey, we need to pass uh, Prop 58. What is what is your response to that? Is is that research um, inaccurate or, or not fully done yet? What are your thoughts on that? I'm extremely skeptical of those research studies. And the research is done by the same individuals or the same groups that provided similar research 20 years ago, indicating how successful bilingual education was and who claimed that Prop 227 would be a total disaster and would destroy the education of millions of immigrant students in California. Instead, as I mentioned, the actual results were incredibly successful, and they all ended up having egg on their face. So that's one reason I'm skeptical of their new research, since it says exactly the same thing that their old research said, which was wrong 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, I come from a scientific background, theoretical physics, and in physics, what matters is empirical reality, the facts, 
Now, what California saw 18 years ago following the passage of 227 was the largest controlled experiment in the history of education possibly in the world. A million students were shifted from programs oriented towards multilingual instruction to intensive sheltered English immersion. And as I said, the results were overwhelmingly successful. And for that reason, I really don't put a lot of faith into research studies that involve probably a few hundred students here and there compared with the empirical results of a million students 18 years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you how you personally got involved with English language education and this proposition. Sure. Well, I, I actually come from a little bit of an immigrant background myself mm-hmm. in that my mother was born in Los Angeles, but she grew up not speaking a word of English. And her parents, uh, she came from an immigrant family background, and her parents taught her a little bit of English before she started school. Once she started school, she picked up English so quickly and easily that it never really was an issue with her. And that was the same for all the other students she knew came from an immigrant background. In fact, she ended up majoring in English in college. So all of the years I read those articles in the newspaper about these bilingual education programs, I was very skeptical of why they were necessary, and all my friends were skeptical of them, some of whom came from a similar sort of background. And from what the newspaper said, these programs really didn't seem to work very well. So I was surprised that the programs remained in place and were never changed. Then in 1996, I read a series of articles in the Los Angeles Times about a group of immigrant Latino parents, poor garment workers down in Los Angeles, who actually had to start a public boycott of their own local elementary school over the fact that it refused to teach the children English. They were carrying picket signs outside their school. Mm-hmm. And when I read those articles, I thought the system is much crazier than I ever realized. And I started doing some investigation into the issue. I discovered that according to the official statistics of the State Department of Education, 95% of the students who started a given school year not knowing English ended that same school year still being classified as not having learned English. Now, I I was quite skeptical of those numbers, but those were the official statistics from the State Department of Education. And I simply couldn't understand why children weren't taught English immediately once they started school. So I got together with a number of other individuals, and we put a measure on the ballot to shift the state away from native language, Spanish almost only instruction, towards intensive sheltered English immersion. And that became Prop 227. Mm -hmm. I intended the initiative to be a very bipartisan campaign, as bipartisan as possible, and ended up being one of the most bipartisan campaigns in California history, in that we were opposed by nearly all the Democrats and nearly all the Republicans. We but it, were pa- but it passed the- uh, pretty, oh, of course. pretty strongly, right? We were opposed by the chairman of the state mm-hmm. Republican Party and the chairman of the state Democratic Party. President Bill Clinton came out to California to campaign against it. Mm-hmm. We were publicly opposed by all four candidates for governor, Democrat, and Republican alike. Nearly every newspaper in the state nearly every union, every political slate, and we were outspent on advertising 25 to 1. The other side spent 25 times more money on advertising. Despite that, 
we ended up winning one of the largest landslides in California history because people thought children should be taught English when they go to school. Mm -hmm. And the results ended up certainly justifying the views of the voters and casting a lot of doubt on the credibility and knowledge of all these political elites who opposed us. Okay. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, you know, the voters actually have a lot of uh, issues to decide on this election. I think there's 17 state ballots, and in I think in San Francisco there's like 13 uh, ballot measures. It's, it's a lot to keep in their heads. So when listeners are headed to the polls, they see Prop 58 on the ballot. What, what's the key thing that, that you want them to remember? Well, Prop 58 is really a trick. In other words, most voters believe very strongly that children should be taught English when they go to school. So the politicians advocating Prop 58, who put it on the ballot, have basically tried to trick the voters. They named it the English Language Education Initiative, even though it repeals the requirement that children be taught English in the public schools. The name was modified then, I think, by the Secretary of State's office because it was so incredibly deceptive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it still has, I believe, English language education in the title. So it makes the voters believe it does the exact opposite of what it really does. There's another trick in there. Uh, the primary author of Prop 58, Senator Lara, was actually publicly quoted by the media in an interview when he explained the reason Prop 58 was so necessary was that even though under the current law, children are still allowed to participate in non-English language programs, dual immersion programs, they're only placed in those programs if their parents are willing to sign an annual waiver authorizing mm -hmm. it. Laura said that the problem with the current system is not that these non-English programs are outlawed, but the parents are forced to sign a waiver to put their children in the program, and that's very difficult to persuade immigrant parents to sign that waiver because mm -hmm. they'd rather have their children taught English. So what Prop 58 does is repeal the requirement that parents need to sign a waiver. And it allows the schools to go back to the old system in which Spanish almost only classes were mandatory and parents had to carry picket signs protesting the fact that their children weren't being taught English. Mm. There's another trick in the measure. Buried deep in the measure, there's a Section 8. What Section 8 authorizes is that if the initiative passes by a vote of the people and repeals Prop 227, any future changes can be made solely by a majority vote of the state legislature. So in other words, even though Prop 58 drastically weakens the existing system and shifts it more towards native language, Spanish, almost only instruction, it isn't as bad as it could be. But if the initiative passes, a day after it passes or a year after it passes, the state legislature, by simple majority vote, without any consultation of the citizens, can put in whatever future requirements they want. They can reestablish mandatory Spanish almost only instruction throughout the entire state of California by simple majority vote. And, you know, it's hidden in there because, you know, I think the supporters of Prop 58 know perfectly well that English is popular in the state. And if they put their true goals 
on a measure. It would certainly be defeated. So instead, they're trying to trick the voters by that deceptive Section 8 that allows them then to do whatever they want once the initiative passes. Right. Currently, uh, Prop 227 requires two-thirds majority, and the changes have to be in line with the proposition. But Exactly. Uh, but 58 says we're moving it to simple majority, and uh, the legislature can make any any law that they want, whether it's in line with the uh, the voters' you know, desires or not. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. And it's hidden in there so that the voters won't notice it. And they'll think that they're simply making some of these changes to the existing system. While in effect, if it passes, the state legislature can do whatever they want in the future, mm-hmm. including mandatory Spanish almost only instruction throughout the state, just as was the case 18 years ago, which is why we needed 227 in the first place. That's all for our program today. I want to thank you for listening. We weren't able to include the full interviews from Jan and Ron, so if you're interested in hearing more from them, check out our website at upvotecalifornia.com. If you want to learn more about supporting Prop 58, please take a look at Yes on Proposition 58, the Learn Initiative at supportprop58.com. And if you want to learn more about the opposition to Prop 58, check out www.keepenglish.org. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Upvote California and feel free to contact us there or on our website. See you soon.